Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of RE Revision Podcasts. This edition is going to cover the good and evil section of the OCR Religious Studies GCSE B specification. As usual, it's not enough to simply listen to this podcast, but it will give you an overview of the topic and contain some key points you need to be aware of. Today we're going to be talking about moral and natural evil, the problem of evil, coping with suffering, sources of moral behaviour, the devil, and Abedim and Eve. Natural and moral evil. Evil is generally accepted to mean something bad or wrong, and is often linked to the idea of suffering. Hitler was considered evil by most people due to the suffering he caused on the world. Philosophers split evil into two types, natural and moral. Natural evil is any suffering caused by nature or the environment. Classic examples include earthquakes, famines, or a tree falling on your head. Moral evil is caused by people. For example, Miss Seabrook grabbing a shotgun and shooting one of her students in the face is an example of moral evil. If I were to get a knife and stab someone, that again is moral evil. The difference between the two is important when we come on to the next topic of the problem of evil. Please note the problem and evil are spelt with capital letters. The problem of evil is the philosophical question or dilemma as to why God allows suffering to happen. Given that God is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, and omnibenevolent, meaning all-loving, it doesn't seem logical for us to live in a world where so many people suffer. This topic overlaps with the belief in deity unit, so this shouldn't be a surprise. Many philosophers have attempted to answer this problem by pointing out that it is humans that are responsible for moral evil, since we are the cause. If Miss Seabrook does get a shotgun and shoot a student in the face, that's her fault, not God's. Atheists reply that, on the other hand, it's God's fault leaving us with the chance to commit evil. Why did God allow Miss Seabrook to get a shotgun and shoot a student in the face? Surely God should have stopped that from happening. Other explanations as to why God allows suffering to happen is that it is a test. If you remember the story of Job, a man is very happy and has a good life. And then the devil decides to test Job and see if he stays loyal to God. Perhaps this life is simply a test to see if we deserve to get to go into heaven or some kind of afterlife. Many people do not consider there to be an answer to the problem of evil, and as a result do not believe in God. However, some accept these counter-arguments, like suffering being a test, and therefore believe they can believe in God. These ideas, these counter-arguments, are known as theodicies, that's spelled T-H-E-O-D-I-C-I-E-S. A theodicy is any attempt to justify the existence of God in the face of evil. It's a key word to use if you have any questions on the problem of evil. In addition to the problem of evil, you need to understand the ways Christians react to suffering. One way, and probably the best way for Christians, is praying. Praying is always a good answer in your exam, as it's something that Christians can do in pretty much any situation. 
Alternatively, they may do something like charity work. They may do volunteering to help people or themselves in need and to create a better situation than the one they're already in. Additionally, they may also just consider some of the, the odysseys that we've mentioned, some of the solutions to the problem of evil. We're now going to move on to sources of moral behaviour. We're talking about where Christians get moral guidance from. The word moral can mean simply good, i.e. gambling is moral, means gambling is good, or it can just relate to good and bad. So when we talk about moral behaviour, we're talking about sources of moral behaviour. Where do Christians get guidance? How do Christians know right from wrong? For Christians, there are many, many different sources. Perhaps the most obvious is the Bible, but there's more. Within the Bible, you have the Ten Commandments. There are also multiple parables and stories which give guidance. Additionally, some Christians receive guidance from their conscience, a little voice inside of them. Some people believe this is the voice of God speaking within them and provides them with constant guidance. A German priest called Dietrich Bonhoeffer helped to assassinate Hitler, sorry, rather, helped to attempt to assassinate Hitler, he wasn't successful, because he believed his conscience told him it was the right thing to do, even though he was a Christian and therefore this is breaking the rule of thou shall not kill. He believed his conscience overrode that. The Bible is probably the most important, and as we said, it includes explicit clear rules, like the Ten Commandments, which say do not murder, do not commit adultery, and so forth, but also parables and stories, which are more open to interpretation. Statements like love your neighbour sound quite straightforward, However, when we consider what does it mean to love your neighbour, does that mean you should tell your neighbour to not have an abortion? Or perhaps a more loving thing to do is to support them in having an abortion so that they don't ruin their GCSEs and ruin their life by having a child which they're not going to be able to support. This is just one example of how you can use love your neighbour to support different points of view. The same is true of something like euthanasia. Is it more loving to end the suffering of someone who is in a lot of pain and is going to die anyway? Or actually, can I really love someone if I'm helping them to die or even murdering them? The same can be said of conscience. Conscience is a vague source of moral behaviour for some people because it's not clear exactly what conscience says in every situation. My conscience might say that actually fighting in a war is wrong, like conscientious objectors, However, somebody else's conscience, i.e. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's, might say fighting in a war is absolutely correct and the right thing to do. So conscience can be used to argue different points of view. So if you're stuck in an exam and think, I can't justify this Christian point of view, as a last resort, you can mention conscience. Conscience is an important sorry, thing to be aware of, an important point of moral behaviour for Christians. We're going to talk now about the church, and that's the church spelt with a capital C. The church is the community of Christians, the people who go to the church on the weekend, the priests, if you're a Roman Catholic, the Pope, those kind of things. These people provide Christians with moral guidance because they say this is the right thing to do, this is the wrong thing to do, and they provide them with advice 
if you go to a church and decide to speak to a priest about a question, I'm sure they will help you and give you moral guidance. So there are many different sources as to why, or sorry, rather, there are many different sources as to how Christians get guidance. It's important we know about why Christians do it. The simple explanation is that they're following God's rules. God created them, God made the world, therefore they should follow his rules. If you remember the topic life after death, Christians believe that there is a heaven, there is a hell, and if they follow the rules they get to go to heaven, they get to go to hell. So that could be an important part of any answer as to why Christians behave themselves and do morally correct actions. We're going to move on to the devil now. The devil is often depicted as being red with horns and sometimes a little tail as well. However, he gets very few mentions in the Bible. We said that the devil appears in the story of Job, but there aren't too many other stories about it. He appears mostly in Apocrypha. Apocrypha are bits of the Bible which were never added to the Bible. So I guess I'm wrong to say they're bits of the Bible. When the Bible was written, people put forward their suggestions as to what needed to go into it. And large amounts were left out and created into a book called Apocrypha. Apocrypha is spelled A-P-O-C-R-Y-P-H-A. The devil is depicted as being an evil character who is the cause of evil in the world. And some Christians certainly would agree with that. Some Christians would consider him to be more a symbol and not a literal, actual creature or person, as he simply symbolises the bad in the world and that people turn their backs on God. According to Apocrypha, the devil was created almost in when he turned his back on God as God asked him to do something and the devil didn't want to. The devil is often referred to as Lucifer or Satan or Beelzebub. These are all the same names for the same person. Adam and Eve were the first humans created according to the Bible. Remember, not all Christians believe this is literally true. However, some do accept it as being literally true. Christians believe they lived in the Garden of Eden, which was created by God, a perfect area and environment with no pain and no suffering. However, Eve convinced Adam to eat the fruit of knowledge. Please note, it never says it was an apple in the Bible. That's something that's been thought of since the Bible. They were tempted by the serpent, which again is sometimes meant to represent the devil. Having eaten the fruit of knowledge, Adam and Eve understood things like being naked, good and bad. And God got pretty angry after he, they'd done the one thing he told them specifically not to do. Having left the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had to suffer, had to experience things like the pain of childbirth, had to work hard to farm the land, to grow crops, to survive. Adam and Eve leaving the Garden of Eden was a huge change from how they lived in the Garden of Eden. For some Christians, this is again a theodicy or a reason why evil and suffering exists. It is all Adam and Eve's fault that we got thrown out of the Garden of Eden. If they were still there, we would still be there and wouldn't be suffering. But since they left the Garden of Eden, we now have pain, suffering, and have to work hard.
Some people see the Adam and Eve story as more of a metaphor. It's not literal. It's a symbolic story of how people turn their backs on God. So remember, as usual, there is more than one interpretation of this Bible story. For this topic, there are a few quotes and teachings that you really need to be aware of and use in your answers. For questions on moral behaviour, any explicit rule from the Ten Commandments, like do not murder or thou shalt not kill, you can use either translation, that's fine, are helpful when it comes to how Christians should act and why they should act that way. The story of Job is an important one to remember. Remember it's spelled J-O-B, Job, that's but pronounced Job. It's important because it teaches Christians about suffering, it teaches uh, Christians about God's omnibenevolence and omniscience in the sense that God rewards Job at the end and also arguably knows everything that is going to happen. There is a quote, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Or the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. This simply means that God decides who has what and when that is to be taken away. This quote can be linked to suffering and to death and comes from the story of Job. The final teaching I'm going to talk about is the parable of the sheep and the goats. You should be familiar with this. It's again an important parable that teaches Christians the value of behaving well, of doing the right thing. In the parable, Jesus lines up all the people at the end of time. With everybody gathered in front of him, he separates people into two groups, in the same way that a shepherd would separate sheep from goats, hence the name of the story. With these two groups, Jesus says, you, the sheep, can go to heaven. You, the goats, go to hell. And he explains to the sheep, you helped me when I was hungry, you visited me when I was in prison, you gave me clothes when I had none. The sheep, or the people who are like sheep, are very confused and say, Lord, when did we help you? When did we see you hungry? We've never seen you hungry. And Jesus replies simply to say that whenever they helped a poor person or a needy person, this is as if they helped God himself. To the goats, he says, you go to hell. You didn't help me, you didn't clothe me, you didn't feed me. And again, the goats are somewhat confused and say, when did we see you? When did we not help you? And Jesus replies in the same way. When you didn't help that poor person that you ignored, when you ignored the hungry, that's like ignoring God. So this parable is important because it teaches Christians that they will be judged by God, that God will judge them fairly. But also it teaches them that if they do the right thing, there are rewards for it. And it is certainly worthwhile and certainly a valuable thing to do. Once again, please remember you need to do more revision than simply just listening to this podcast, but it hopefully has outlined some key areas. Please do come find me if you have any questions or any of it doesn't make sense. And remember, revision sessions are every Thursday lunchtime and Thursday after school.